Hello, everyone, and welcome to Think Change, the podcast from ODI, where we discuss some of the world's most pressing global issues with a variety of experts and commentators. I'm your host, Sara Pantuliano, ODI's Chief Executive. Today, we will be discussing the results of the first round of the French elections. We now know that Macron and Le Pen will have their rematch in the second round, with both candidates doing much better than expected. Um, and of course, we can't ignore the rise in La France Insoumise, who also did very well. It would be really interesting to see how their votes play out in the second round. But, but today we're going to focus on the potential implications for both candidates in terms of economic policy, in terms of migration, peace and security, and all sorts of you know, other geopolitical issues. We want to delve into the policy positions on the two, of the two candidates, how they might evolve, um, especially as they try to scoop up those left and right voters, um, and how these elections will influence France's place in the world. I'm really happy that we will be joined today by Julien Massilly, um, dialing in from Paris. Julien is the Chief Economist at Global Sovereign Advisory. Um, GSA is an organization that specializes in advising governments on strategic, economic, and financial issues across the world. Julian, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. I'm very glad to be with you today. Together with Julian, we have ODI's own Catherine Wajakodahu, the director of our politics and governance program, who is also based in Paris as part of ODI's wider efforts to be present in a number of uh, uh, European capitals. Um, along with uh, uh, Julian and Catherine, we have Marta Foresti, the executive director of ODI Europe. Welcome to both of you. Very pleased to be here. Thank you. Very pleased to be here. Thank you, Sara. Great. Well, let's dive right in. Um, Julian. When it comes to politics, it's actually very often about the economy. Um, tell our listeners, what do you think are the most important economic implications of an either Macron or Le Pen victory? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a very good question indeed. I mean, before perhaps moving on, uh, on the consequences, just a few words about uh, I mean, the causes of this uh, rise of uh, Le Pen. I mean, Obviously, she is not new. Her father was already um, uh, doing great as the second round of the election twenty years ago, and um, and 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 you know that this is not a surprising trend because we see quite the same in a lot of other countries. Uh, Marine Le Pen has said in the last years she's uh, like uh, Trump in, uh, in 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 the U.S. Uh, just just to just to name this uh, this example. So it, 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 to some extent, it's not surprising. I mean, people feel frustrated uh, by her in, higher income inequalities, uh, for instance. So you, you could argue at first glance, this is more surprising in France because income inequalities are lower than uh, in the US and in the UK. But nevertheless, they have increased. Uh, plus, you had to this uh, lower social mobility uh, in, in France and in, in, in other countries. Um, so when you, when you gather all of this, uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, people people keep being frustrated, despite the pretty good management of the of the of the of the crisis. Um, and and people are also very frustrated by, let's say, a kind of a big gap between on the one side uh, what's going on when you look at official figures and what do they perceive. 
in, in their real life. Uh, and when you look at surveys, for instance, there is a big gap between official numbers of inflation and what do they perceive. Um, so it's, a, it's one of the reasons why uh, Le Pen has surprised on the upside. Same thing on unemployment. Uh, when you ask to people uh, right before the crisis, uh, according to you, what is the level of unemployment in France? They were they were telling thirty percent. So you can you can say it's a, this is something which is unreal, which is stupid, and which is well above the nine percent official figures at that time. But in real, when you look at the even official figures, and you had all categories of. Uh, jobless people, part-time ones, and so on, you, you go until uh, 20%. So you're in the middle between uh, official numbers and, let's say, what is perceived by the population. So all of this explains why there is this big, uh, big source of uh, frustration among the population in, um, in, in, in France. Now, yeah, sorry, going back to the implications, uh, you, you, you were questioning on, uh, on, on this. Um, of course, the economic program uh, is, is very different. Uh, if, if, if you look at uh, Macron and, uh, and, and Le Pen, um, on, the, on, on the Macron side, uh, of course, it would be a kind of a continuation of uh, what has been done in the last years. And his program is, uh, is, is not that, let's say, uh, full, but it's, uh, he, he, has, uh, he has, let's say, uh, highlighted some measures he didn't have time to focus on uh, during uh, his first mandate uh, because of the crisis, because of uh, social, social issues uh, and social movements. Uh, on the other side, Le Pen focuses a lot on purchasing power and, um, and, and especially orally. And, and but that that can be a that can be a, a, a big question mark in the written program. She focuses a lot on migration issues and so on, but she doesn't talk about it, and she only talks about purchasing power, and 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 that's why she's surprised on the upside because this is a key topic at the moment because of higher inflation. I'd like to come in here and perhaps add a slightly different dimension to the explanation of why. Uh, the upsurge in support for Le Pen, because we also have to acknowledge that La France Insoumise got, you know, 1%, even possibly less than 1% less than Le Pen. And it's in fact testament to the arguments that uh, Julien is making that perceptions of a huge social gap, income inequalities, are very much high on the agenda which meant that Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who was the uh, La France Insoumise candidate, was able to garner almost as much support as Le Pen. I think perhaps the reason, uh, one of the um, major reasons, in addition to the social and economic question for Le Pen's support, is also the huge importance of identity questions that have been fueling the political climate in France for a long time, and which um, the, the, the very far-right candidate, who only got 7%, um, has been uh, very much uh, responsible for. I'm referring here to Eric Zemmour, uh, who really 
reshaped the contours of, of French politics by really um, accentuating uh, concerns about identity, um, French cultural sovereignty, and an anti-immigrant um, rhetoric that created space in which uh, Le Pen could grow. So yes, of course, uh, her, her discourse is very much about social inclusion, uh, economic purchasing power, and so on. But that's a discourse he's very much borrowing uh, from the left, notably uh, in the guise of uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Thanks. Thank you very much for those uh, additional points, Catherine. So what does this mean for Macron then? Does he need to change tack on his economic policies if he really wants to get those left voters to take him over the finish line? Um, Julian, what do you think? Um, no, I was saying this, this, is a very, this is a very valid point. I mean, compare, if you compare the current situation with the one five years ago in, in, in 17, um, at that time, Macron managed to gather both uh, people from the right wing and from the left wing. And uh, as Catherine was, uh, was saying, this time he has lost uh, many supporters on the left, uh, on the left wing. And, and that's why Jean-Luc Mélenchon did well uh, during, the, during the first round. Um, so now the big question is that, is it, is it possible for him to motivate them to uh, to vote for him uh, in, uh, in in ten days, because at this stage this is a big question mark. Uh, a lot of them uh, they they will not necessarily vote for uh, Marine Le Pen, but uh, but a significant number of them don't want to vote at all, and they don't want to choose uh, between the two. And uh, and and that that's the biggest that's the biggest question mark, and that's why polls are still very uncertain. Uh, ahead of the ahead of the of the second round. Thanks. Um, well, I think that will definitely play a significant role in uh, moving voters one way or the others. But there are other issues at play. Uh, one important um, issue is around peace and security. I mean, Macron is clearly striving to be seen as an international leader perhaps uh, to his detriment in his campaign. Um, Catherine, I want to ask you, what do you make of the rhetoric of both candidates around peace and security? How different are they? They are different in style, that is clear. Um, but when you look in detail, um, it's also quite surprising that uh, there are lots of points of convergence. And I say this because of the way in which the um, discourse on security, uh, very much forged in domestic concerns, has really shaped um, both their rhetoric. So on the one hand, you have uh, Macron, who um, internationally, uh, his campaign, for example, in, in, in Africa, Serval, and then um, subsequently Barkhane, uh, I'm thinking of um, the Sahel here, um, was really very much shaped by concerns that if we did not tackle the jihadist threat in Sahelian West Africa, that the repercussions on Europe would be huge. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Le Pen's rhetoric around security and with respect to Africa is very much formulated in similar, similar terms. So we need to address the terrorist threat 
in the Sahel. She criti critiques uh, Macron for the shame that has been uh, France's withdrawal from Mali. Um, and she, she also acknowledges that the demographic pressures, climate pressures are the drivers of fragility in the Sahel in a similar way to Macron. Um, and that's the grounds on which she is pushing her anti-immigration logic. Okay, it, there are profound differences at the same time. Um, on the international stage, we, uh, um, Le Pen is clear uh, that she has an antipathy towards NATO. She believes that NATO is very much the cause of insecurity uh, in, in France's neighbourhood in Europe and is proposing something very much around, you know, she's very antagonistic to the idea of sanctions. She believes that there should be a dialogue with Putin and believes that NATO is essentially um, what she describes, she uses the word um, engineered bellicosity or sort of warmongeringness in, in Europe. So Macron, on the other hand, after having labelled uh, NATO as brain dead earlier on in his uh, administration, is now very much seeing a critical role that NATO will play. On Europe as well, there are clear differences. So Macron, uh, clearly a pro-European, uh, uh, seeing Europe's as, as, as critical to France's defence and wanting to um, strengthen the the ability of Europe to actually act strategically militarily. Uh, uh, Le Pen, on the other hand, wishing to ensure that the, the French constitution supersedes any, uh, any European legislation, although she has not in this campaign come out as a Frexiter, you know, a, a French equivalent of Brexit, um, she is very much antagonistic uh, to the idea of Europe. Um, so there are clear differences. And for Europe and uh, more globally, I think uh, the repercussions of a Le Pen uh, victory will be quite profound. Uh, it's no secret that Le Pen has um, had very cl close relationships with Putin himself. Um, and that is a cause of considerable concern. Thank you very much, Catherine. Of course, another key issue um, and a very contentious and visible topic is migration. We know from ODI's recent research into public opinions on migration that the French public's attitudes towards immigration have actually become progressively more positive in recent years. Marta, I want to ask you, um, do you think migration will be talked about more in the campaign now? And are we going to see some true colors of the candidates showing um, on both sides? Thank you, Sarah. And as Catherine and Julien already mentioned, uh, uh, the issues of uh, immigration continues to play out in this campaign, but perhaps in a way that we could not have anticipated um, even uh, a few months ago. In fact, uh, some have argued that Marine Le Pen has been su particularly successful in the last couple of weeks in the lead up to the vote, partly by avoiding to dwell on the immigration debate, which is, of course, is what made her in many ways, along other sort of nationalist leaders in Europe, from Salvini to Farage and others. So we're in this interesting state, you know, situation where a candidate that has been campaigning against uh, immigration and with very uh, divisive rhetoric on it 
is now pretty actively avoiding the topic and by doing so uh, perhaps contributing to um, uh, to to do well in the polls. So I would imagine that in the next couple of weeks, we're not going to hear so much on immigration policy uh, from the candidates um, if this trend continues. Um, I would imagine that Macron will probably be uh, trying hard to get her to come out on those issues to see whether she can sort of replicate the mistakes that she's made in the past. but in fact, the, the, the research that you mentioned shows quite clearly that, as in other European countries, um, the French people do not care um, as much uh, about immigration, particularly when that's not fueled in political campaigns. So to give you a sense, in 2006, about 40, nearly 45% of the public felt that immigration made France a worse place to live. And that is now down to around 30% in 2018. As you said, it's perhaps is not, this changes in opinions are not as rapid as in other European countries, but it's definitely following the same trend. Um, so immigration is not as high on the political agenda in the next couple of weeks. But the problem is that once one of the two will be elected, there is work to do on, on this topic. And of course, you know, the, the, the logic will tell you that if the public opinion in France and the rest of Europe um, is actually open to a more pragmatic debate on what to do about immigration and has just witnessed what many uh, described as a wave of unprecedented solidarity in relation to those who were forcibly displaced from Ukraine. Um, one could argue that there's a moment where that can be seized by the next president to try to exercise some leadership. Now, which one of the two is more likely to do something about it? Probably neither, if we go by uh, what we've seen happening in other countries. Obviously, um, I think uh, for Le Pen, it would be difficult to take on pragmatic or even obviously progressive uh, approaches to immigration. The issue um, in France is that the debate on immigration, beyond whether France should have more or less immigrants, is what to do about improving integration of those who are in France. And the whole immigration policy rests on this concept of integration, which is very hard to achieve. Uh, Le Pen, I don't see how she could be uh, someone who could facilitate it. I mean, her position on the hijab to start with is just one example of where her approach is likely to be very confrontational. And so it's difficult to imagine Le Pen being able to make progress on, on integration. But it's not as if, given the landscape that Julien and Catherine have met and have, have painted for us about the social, economic and political tensions that exist in the country, to imagine that Emmanuel Macron will have an easier task in terms of making progress on on domestic integration. Macron could do things, um, could do two very concrete things. One, when it comes to forced displacement and refugees, he could uh, build on the momentum that has been created on the solidarity uh, and the action taken in relation to um, refugees in Ukraine. He was actually very vocal on... um, on the problem with the unequal treatment of some of the refugees who are fleeing Ukraine. Um, And of course, there are now a number of countries in the Eastern Bloc that have been traditionally very reluctant to engage on uh, on cooperative policies in Europe, who have shown that in some cases um, they're able to, um, um, to, to act in solidarity and to be proactive. And so Macron could try to build on this momentum to make the argument that this is not something that we can leave to the next crisis again to resolve, but to come to some kind of negotiating table on some at least elements of responsibility sharing 
The second area where uh, I imagine Macron in particular could do more, and I think it would be uh, great to see, to see some leadership um, in Europe uh, on this matter, is vis-a-vis migration from Africa. And so the, you know, the more traditional sort of economic migration that continues to happen in large parts still irregularly between Africa and Europe because of the lack of legal pathways. I think the the, the the experience with COVID and the resulting sort of skills gaps in the supply chains in so many sectors in Europe has really opened a little bit of a space to at least engage the public in a conversation on pragmatic ways to open legal pathways for migrants, that the migrant labor force that Europe needs. So I'm very aware that what I'm suggesting is perhaps ambitious, but at some point, some political leaders in Europe will need to take some steps at the back of these opinion polls and the fact that Europe needs economic migrants more than ever before. And I would suggest that with the second turn, particularly if it's one with some degree of comfort and with, you know, with less of a dominant role of the UK in, in Europe and perhaps without Angela Merkel being such a strong leader in Europe, I think Macron could take some risks and try to push a little bit in the agenda, particularly, you you know, around sort of cooperation around the Mediterranean on pragmatic matters of migration from Africa. Well, one can only hope for this more inspired and compassionate leadership we shall see. Um, but you mentioned Ukraine, and I'd just like to hear from uh, all of you on actually the key geopolitical priorities for the next president, you know, and, and what this will mean for uh, the global order and international relations. I mean, is a, a Le Pen presidency going to rip up the global order? Are we going to have another, you know, sort of Trump-style approach? And what about Macron? You know, does, does he have what it takes to be a global leader in multilateral relations? Um, Juliana, I'll come to you first. Yes, thanks. Um, well, first I have to say, yeah, I agree with, uh, with, with Marta. I think the, the debate in, in the next 10 days will have two legs. Uh, the first one is on social and, uh, and economic issues. And uh, as we said, I mean, Le Pen at this stage has been very lucky to some extent because of rising inflation and uh, and and, uh, and it helped her a lot. Um, but the second leg is definitely uh, will be related to the relation uh, relation with the international organization with other countries. And Macron will will try to uh, show the lack of credibility of, of Le Pen in the next days uh, in, in that regard. Because to go back to your question, Sarah, uh, indeed, um, if, uh, if, if Marine Le Pen wins, uh, we, we can imagine a, a number of uh, significant consequences first at, at European level. So she, she knows very well that five years ago, she, she made a big mistake by saying she wants to exit the euro. So that's why now she keeps repeat, repeating uh, she wants to, to keep it. And, uh, and in addition to that, she also keeps repeating she wants to uh, remain uh, within the European Union. But the point is, uh, when you look at her, her written program, a number of measures are not in line with uh, a number of European treaties. And so there is a a lot of, uh, let's say, lack of coherence uh, between what she says during her meetings, uh, interviews, and what is written in her program. 
and, and, and more specifically regarding the mobility of people within the EU, uh, the trade of goods, because she would like to uh, have some controls at the borders. Just to give you a few examples, all of this, as you know, uh, this is not in line with, uh, with, with European treaties. So if she is elected and if she gets the majority uh, in June uh, during the parliamentary election, which is also a big if, uh, then indeed we can imagine uh, a lot of tensions within the European Union uh, because of all those topics. Uh, we already, to some extent, have this type of tensions with Poland and Hungary, but it would be very different this time because it would be with, uh, with France uh, and, and it would be the magnitude of these issues and tensions uh, among EU countries uh, would be definitely uh, larger. Now, if we, if we imagine that uh, Emmanuel Macron is, uh, is re-elected, I think, uh, of course, uh, the biggest consequence would be at European level. I mean, Emmanuel Macron is pragmatic on a lot of th things, on a lot of topics, but he has strong principles on the European project. And he really wants... And, uh, and, and this is not fake, he really wants to strengthen the European project. So he, he is very much in favor of uh, fastening uh, the fiscal union. And, and this is a, this is a big, big topic uh, at this stage. Uh, we can also imagine that given the, given the current topic, uh, he would be very much in favor of uh, doing more in terms of common spending regarding defense, uh, for instance. And he is also very much in favor of uh, common strategies uh, in terms of uh, energy transitions. And again, I mean, the current situation makes it even more uh, urgent uh, to move uh, in, 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 that, uh, in, in that regard. Now, regarding, regarding Africa, uh, Emmanuel Macron has tried in the last five years to, uh, to do some efforts, especially more in terms of uh, economic diplomacy, uh, because one of the biggest issues of, uh, of France is that uh, uh, French businesses have also lost uh, market shares in all African countries in the last year. So he has, he has tried to make some efforts to combine a political approach and an economic one uh, regarding, uh, regarding Africa. And, and we can imagine if, 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 if he's re-elected, we can see some, some positive news and we, we can start seeing some positive impact uh, from these uh, past uh, efforts. Uh, but of course, as, uh, as Marta and Catherine uh, were correctly, correctly saying, uh, if uh, Marine Le Pen is, uh, is elected, uh, we, we can imagine a very different picture in, uh, in, in that regard. Thank you very much, Julian. Marta, what do you think the key difference in the geopolitical implications of the two presidencies would be? When it comes to Africa, um, the, the main difference between the two candidates is that Macron will have something to build on. Um, the thing is that what, you know, unlike Le Pen, that, you know, has, you know, has built uh, so much of her stance on international um, issues on very divisive and contested sort of, you know, domestic agendas that will make it difficult to understand and imagine in what ways she could build a stronger and particularly more equal partnership with, uh, with African countries. Um, 
Macron is an interesting one. So we looked into my my colleague Raphael Faure uh, just published an excellent paper that looked at the the actual um, uh, track record of the last few years of of the, of the Macron presidency in relation to Africa and sets out what to go from there, whether the new president is Macron or not. Now the jury's out, and in a, in a way, the, the you know the the balance is not so positive. So Macron has done has said a lot and has done quite a fair amount of diploma of diplomacy and has put some dipl political diplomacy on the table to try to uh, reach out and build stronger a stronger partnership with some African countries. But the results are not great. There is a lot of talk and not enough action, and in some cases there were some you know major faux pas and also some. Uh, significant failures, in, namely in the Sahel, as Catherine, as Catherine mentioned um, mentioned earlier. The diplomatic base, though, you know, is potentially useful, if anything, and this goes back to Europe, because the relations between Africa and Europe as a whole are at an all-time low. Um, COVID blew a terrible sort of, you know, it was it was a really bad, um, uh, you know, a, a, a really bad factor in. Uh, in strengthening the relationship between the two continents, and particularly between the African Union and, and the European Union, we were just about uh, ready to um, to uh, to get the conversation again. And actually, you know, Macron did play a role in during the French presidency in managing to gather the AU-AU summit for the first time after a few years when it wasn't possible to convene it. And let's not forget that only last year, uh, Ramaphosa and other African leaders refused to come to Brussels for a uh, conversation with European counterparts. So Macron did pull it off, um, but it's not enough. And it requires, you know, it now particularly with, you know, the, the, the attention shifting on the eastern um, on the eastern borders of Europe is very difficult to imagine. There will be a continued commitment uh, towards Africa. And again, this is an area where Macron could exercise some leadership, but that will require some very significant shift in the way it is done. Um, and, and perhaps Catherine will, you know, can say also a little bit more about that, but also in what, like the investment in climate and energy resilience, so putting some money behind the, you know, behind the intention and what can be done. Infrastructure, um, that is also fit for the future. I think particularly on climate to really address the trade-offs that are there between the sustainable development of Africans in some African countries and the needs of climate action. Um, and working, you know, playing more of a proactive role with the IFIs in providing the much needed financing, um, as well as, you know, taking forward the, the reform that he has initiated on development cooperation and on aid, but again, has not quite taken to full completion and action. So it feels a bit of a job half done that could, you know, work progress could be made. What is challenging is that with all eyes on Russia and Ukraine, what will it take to political leaders to meaningfully make Africa a priority? But my somewhat you know challenge to Macron and potentially other European leaders is that's precisely the moment to do that, not to let that ball drop and re, you know and sort of act on the fact that our collective future in, in Europe depends on our ability to create meaningful and equal partnerships um, with with the African continent. Thanks, Marta. Katrin, any other remaining geopolitical issues of significance that you think we'll have to monitor or sort of um, anticipate um, in terms of differences between the two presidencies? In terms of 
each the capacity of each candidate to um, uh, engage globally and have the kind of uh, global leadership that that we require. I don't want to um, reiterate the points raised by colleagues, but I would say um, in uh, in def- not in defence of Macron, but just uh, in light of his uh, um, his campaign um, to consider Africa differently, um, that I would agree with Marta that there has been progress made. But the reason why, um, for example, on the peace and security issue in the Sahel, uh, there was such an investment in military operations has not gone away. The security threat that was not just a threat to France, at least pitched as such, or was also a threat to Europe. So whilst um, there are, um, there's a lot of kind of hanged ringing about what happened in Mali, um, Macron's position is that he still sees a very important role uh, for France in the Sahel. Um, and it's clear that uh, in future, it won't be possible for France to go it alone. That security consideration um, continue, continues to be one that um, that Europe as a whole will need to uh, take account of. But one uh, criticism of uh, uh, Macron's approach is that he has not significantly or sufficiently linked the military, the security to the political. And this brings me back to the point raised by uh, Julien, which is that whilst we can acknowledge, yes, that Macron clearly has uh, upped the ante on an economic partnership with Africa, Francophone countries and more, um, it's, it's, it's rubs up against uh, a growing antipathy, popular antipathy, one could argue that it's, um, you know, on the back of fake news and so on, but uh, to France, that is growing in, in across Sahel and other parts of Africa. So if France's interest in Africa is about increasing its market share, then I think that will have to be um, reconciled with, particularly in Francophone countries, and particularly from a young population that hasn't actually been schooled in the French language, because many of them have not gone to school, um, that will have to reconcile itself with that as a backdrop. So um, yes, I would agree that uh, Macron has demonstrated that he has what it takes to um, um, exert international leadership. And in fact, I think that has been the wind in his sails in many senses uh, that got him to a score of 28% in the first round. However, if he is to make good on that, uh, there are serious uh, reconsiderations of how he has um, particularly on the African continent, he has um, he has um, dis you know he has um, separated out uh, the political uh, and diplomatic from the security questions. There are African institutions that ought to be critical interlocutors: the African Union, uh, ECOWAS, and so on. And and often um, the partnership possibly needs to be. Um, uh, linked to the agenda and priorities being set by those institutions as much as the priorities for partnership um, espoused uh, so often um, by, by Macron. Thank you very much, Catherine. 
unfortunately, we're going to have to draw today's conversation to a close there. It's been really a fascinating exchange. Thank you so much, Julian, um, Catherine, Marta. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. It was great. Thanks. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. A real pleasure. Mon plaisir, in fact. Well, this will certainly be an election to watch. The outcomes could have significant effects on Europe, as we've heard, on the relations with Africa, on the global economic order, and so much more. At ODI, we will continue to provide analysis after the winner is announced. So do keep up to date with the latest on our website. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, remember to subscribe to the show. We are on all your favorite podcast providers. And do check out odi.org for our latest analysis. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next show, again focusing on a global issue of the day. Until next time, thank you for listening.